All right, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 is where we're going to start today. I'll read through from verse 18 through 29. I encourage you to follow along with me. I'm gonna, we're going to try to tackle this. And I, I, as I come in on Sunday mornings, and you know, I am aware of you know, cultural things and, and various you know, um, methods, I bring to you consistently something that I just chose to do, but it's a part of our church leadership's desire. I want to walk you through the word. I could do a sermon on a topic or pull a topic out of here, and I could bring some points, and, some, and that's healthy. This is good. But our, our team, our leadership team, we really want to model example and encourage people to walk through the word, to go through it. And so that's why I, I kind of take this approach. We all have the same outline, so to speak, as we go through it. I believe it, it helps us even in our daily devotions and our time during the week to, to study the Bible, believing that God will teach us and shape us. So let's read this together, beginning in verse 18, as we desire to grow closer to him. Little children... It is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be manifest, or made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Continuing here in verse 24, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he had promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just that it has taught you, you will abide in him." Closing out there in verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. All right, as you can tell, there's a lot there, but let's just do as we usually do. Let's go right back up to verse 18. Let's take it a step at a time and walk our way through this. Little children... The Bible teaches you and me that when we agree with God, uh, in essence, when we recognize, and he actually makes it known, we think we understood, we see it, but when, when we recognize our sin individually, when we realize that we need forgiveness, we're told that when we agree with God in that, and that we, we, we agree with God about our sin, and we say, please forgive me. When we recognize that we need his forgiveness, we receive that, we ask him to show us how to live. Turning from the way I live, I want to turn to him. And there's an amazing thing that happens in this whole process. The Bible tells us that we're born again in that moment, born of the Spirit. And so when you're born again, the picture that's being shown to us to understand this truth 
conveys that you're not born mature, agreed? Not born as an adult, you're born as a child. And so when he says little children, he's addressing children born again, you, I, true Christians that are born again, born of the Spirit, little children. And these are some things that are happening. It is, there's three things you can see in verse 18. It is the last hour, okay? It's not like the last hour is coming. And now, so you think about it, it's declared that this is the last, the end of days. We know from Acts chapter um, 2, verses uh, 16 and 17. Now, Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter was the instrument that God spoke through. And and we see in verse 16 of Acts 2 that it was quoted, it was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what Joel, the prophet Joel, was written in the Old Testament, what he declared, we're told that is the day, that day of Pentecost, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. See, so in the last days, the Holy Spirit, who in the Old Testament was, if you would, in the world, in the last days, he will indwell his people. So it'll be a whole new experience. It goes on to say that uh, in verse 21, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we know that we're in the last days. The Bible shows it to you and me. We don't have to study the current political system. We don't have to wonder and ponder with certain moral and ethical decline. Are we coming up on the end? We're in the last days. Matter of fact, we're in the last hour of the last days. We could say, well, um, wait a minute. John wrote this 2,000 years ago. Yes, that's true. Does that mean it's not true? He wrote it 2,000. Now, you would naturally consider, well, if that was the last hour, and we've been 2,000 years, and we're still in the last hour, that doesn't change the truth. It actually should cause you, me, to think a little differently. We're 2,000 years closer. We're much closer now than they were then, if you're thinking chronologically. It wasn't a new argument. It's not a new argument, if you would. Peter wrote... That many mock, they, they, they ridicule. Yeah, 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 I know Jesus is coming back. Oh, God's going to come and judge the world. And he said, but what you miss, what you don't understand, that is a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. So we want to remember, some of these things we're kind of working through, but let's keep eternity in view. Let's not be drawn into just a temporal perspective. Keep eternity in view. Because here's the simple truth. There is no dispensation. There's no time following this time where men can be saved. This is it. You don't get a second chance later. This, in this life, is where we determine, in a sense, we respond to God's gift of grace, his love, and we then, as we respond to his gift of salvation, we receive it. If we reject it, we don't get another chance at it. Some say, well, that's kind of harsh. No, it's not. It's very true. It's not harsh when you consider what high price he paid that you could have a free gift. And so the Bible tells you, I mean, now, today is the day of salvation. And so we're, this, this audience, they understood, they've been told, you know, that this is the last day. We're in the last hour. Notice it also says in verse 18, the second point you can see, 
is the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist, as you see there, the first time that word's used, it's capitalized, speaking of a specific person. There is a specific person the Bible tells you and me about that will be in a position of authority in this world in the end of the end days, in the last days. We have just finished the book of Revelation, the first part of this year, going through that. You can go back and catch that online if you want to listen to some of that. Go to our webpage. Revelation 13, Daniel chapter 7. They speak of this person who will have a position of influence and authority. I believe it's going to, that person could actually be alive today based on some other prophecies that have been fulfilled. But I also believe the rapture of the church will take place first before this upheaval, before this will take place. What's significant to our generation? What could cause us to say, you know, we are really in the last days. I think the most relevant, the most significant, the most monumental miracle that we can acknowledge is the rebirth of the nation Israel. See, prior to 1948, your eschatology, which is the study of the end times, the order of how things will unfold, would be kind of confusing because God speaks about Israel so much through the Old Testament, but you know they're not a nation. They've been dispersed throughout the planet. They're all over the place. And yet, before 1948, they started coming back. In a strange and almost mysterious way, we know it's not a mystery, but this is hocus pocus. We know it's a miracle. That prior to the internet, why does that matter? Well, because they, they just started coming back to Israel without getting the email. You know, nobody told them they're supposed to go do it. They just, there was just something internal, something God did that brought this nation, never before in human history, has a nation been dispersed, a people been broadcast across the planet for a thousand years, a couple thousand years, and then they just, without communicating, reassemble, reassimilate, and then they're recognized as a nation in 1948. That now changes the way you see some of these prophecies, so how they're going to be fulfilled, because prior to 1948, you might scratch your head on a few of them, because there's no nation. They're not there, but now they're there. And then we see other things starting to unfold. The Antichrist is coming. That is going to happen. Now notice the text also tells you a third thing. Many Antichrists have come. That was 2,000 years ago. Many Antichrists. You know, we know anti can mean, well, two things most frequently. Anti mean uh, opposed, against. If you're anti-something, you know, anti-government, you're probably not involved in politics. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're opposed to that. But anti can also mean instead of. So not only does it mean against, but well, here's another option. And that's what we see happening at this time. There were many who were anti. Pick it up in verse 19. They went out from us. They, obviously, is drawing out of the context of what we've seen in verse 18, that is the they being spoke of. They, they were, those were, who were anti-Christ, they went out from us, they were not of us. So the ones who were instead of Christ were among the early church. And, and you want to see it, what John's addressing is not a specific geographic local gathering. 
it's a teaching. It's a, it's a, a, a mindset that was going through. And so as he's addressing this to Christians, not just a, a, a church in one specific location, he's just being straightforward even then. Because see, here's the thing. Many who look into the church are not looking to see Jesus. That's just that's an observable reality historically. Many are looking for a, uh, a way to deal with a life event, right? Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's some situation. It's just, it, there's just something that's a significant life event, and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. Many come to the gathering or come to church in our culture and, and others as well to calm the disturbance caused by the questions of the soul. Questions like, what's my purpose? It's a frequent question presented in, in trying to reach people because it's, it's resonating. What's my purpose? What happens when I die? Is there a God? And those are the reasons, you know, some of the reasons that people start coming to a gathering or connecting. Many are looking for a new relationship or perhaps a new way to deal with relationships. Like, God, if, if you fix this relationship, then I will serve you. If you do this, then I will do this for you. If you can just put this all back together again, then I, I will believe in you. And so that's just, you know, I'm not being critical or like, you know, just categorical. I'm just, this is observable. Turning to God is not the same as surrendering to God. We need to remember that. Because historically, if you've been in gatherings for very long and connecting in this Christian experience where God's teaching us his word, you've seen people come and go. Now, don't be thinking like, oh, that's why that person did that. No, that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that so you would be aware that you know, there, there are people that come in and they have different agendas and different ideas and then and, and they, and they move on. And they try to sell their goods somewhere else. They have another thing in mind. They're not looking to know Jesus. They're looking to see what they can get or whatever it may be. They're, they have a, a, an anti or an instead of Jesus mindset. Then there's this way to go about it. Remember at this time, as we've seen in previous studies, the teaching of Gnosticism was, was actually growing. It, 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 it's, it's still present today. Gnosticism is search for higher knowledge, um, declaring that you have or I have or we can attain this deeper, greater knowledge. They were actually looking for an instead of Christ, and they moved away from the teaching of Jesus. We actually seen it even in Jesus' time as he was teaching. There was many who turned back and walked with him no more because some of his teaching was difficult and they, they weren't willing to receive it. So it happens, it's just a reality. You know, people can be you know, drawn in, going to, you know, many have stayed in church while have been in attendance, but they've checked out spiritually. You know, that wasn't just then, agreed? And sadly, even today, that there's times that people just kind of, they're just checking it out. And I, I, the text is not in any way critical of someone in that situation. It's addressing those who came in, whether they consciously acknowledged it or not, they had a different agenda. They would speak of the instead of Christ, you can do it this way. Instead of Jesus, you can do it this way. Now, notice how he addresses, this, addresses it in verse 20, but you... You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. 
and you know all things. This is one of, as I've said before, um, you know, some verses you can, you can put on your fridge and they make sense. Sometimes you don't even have to put the whole verse on the fridge. This isn't one of them. <laughs> don't put this on your fridge. It's just, you know all things. You're like, I know all things. You may be a nice little bumper sticker. You know, you know, second Daniel 1-1, I would have to address it. There's no second Daniel, by the way. You see it, sadly, I, I received emails, uh, message, digital messages last week. When it says you know all things, you, you didn't suddenly get a doctorate in theology, right? What's he talking about? We have to keep it in its context. You have an anointing, you're older, some translations, I like this word, it's the unction, an unction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have this prompting, this presence, this, this knowledge. Well, where'd it come from? See, the Bible tells you and me, and we looked at this here just a week or two ago, that when we're born again, we go from being, you know, living our way, receiving the gift of forgiveness, humbling ourselves before God and asking him to lead us, and we're told that the Holy Spirit indwells us at that time. The comforter, this is Jesus' description, the Hebrew word, or the word parakletos, conveys to you and me what, what the Holy Spirit does. So we have one God in three personages, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you and me, and we're born again, and he is a comforter. In the book of the Gospel of John, we actually even give him more insight in detail, job description for the Holy Spirit, so to speak. He guides you in all truth. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He brings to your remembrance the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and does not draw attention to himself. God's anointing, his unction, is revealed through the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit to teach you and to lead you. Now, you could have something, but that doesn't mean you know it entirely, agreed? The word, you know, there's a couple ways you can look at this, this word it has its meaning. To know something experientially means that you have you've taken hold of it, you've done it. Oh, I know how to fix this because I've done it before. You, but then there's the other, this more, I know, but I don't fully know. I have kind of a, I know, but I don't. It's kind of like, I think of it this way. Someone gives you a computer, you got a new computer, and it's in your office in the box that it came in. You know you have a computer, right? But unless you open that computer up and learn how to utilize it, you know you have it. You have everything you need for the computing, so to speak, but there's a point it has to be a practice, a part of your life. And so we don't want to be errant and, and, and maybe somewhat lazy. Like, well, hey, you know, like we, we, we all know everything. We don't have to have somebody teach us. We can just know, you know, we can just kind of go through life. We can figure it out. The reason we see this, I believe, why, and it's gonna, we're going to get into it a little more to reiterate it. <clears throat> Understand that God does not show partiality. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to join the spiritual elite club to know the word of God. Humility 
is the living expression of a teachable Christian. John the Baptist said it so beautifully for you and I. Speaking of Jesus, he said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He understood to really grow, he had to kind of not be the, the center point. If, if maybe you have looked at it this way as you've grown as a Christian, there's things I knew as a young Christian as I held on to that I was certain about, that I was absolute about, I would even be willing to correct some of the mold codgers about. The problem is I was wrong. I wasn't fully developed, but I was certain, I was confident. And as I grew, I realized I, I, that's not accurate. I'm not even gonna tell you what it is because you don't need to know because I've grown beyond it. My point being, I had to decrease. He had to increase. As the Holy Spirit teaches us what this relationship is like and what it means to honor God, what it means to walk with Jesus, then, then it, we change. And he is glorified. And so let's go from verse 20 to verse 21. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. He's saying, you know the truth. You, didn't, you weren't withheld. God doesn't say, go check with the, the priest. Go check with this person. Truth was brought. You are born again, born of the Spirit. Your faith, your belief, your new life is because of what God has done. And he will lead you and walk you into all truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This verse we're looking at tells us that no lie is of the truth. A lie is most always decorated with truth, but it's not of the truth. So a, a, a lie that's going to deceive and that people will embrace or at least ponder and consider has to have some surface or some decoration of truth. Agreed? Because that, that opens people, oh, well, it does say, and they kind of ponder and consider it. But deception presents the lie and calls it truth, yet no lie is of the truth. That simple guideline, if you would, is a really important principle in our culture because you're going to be presented with things that sound right, seem close, but they're not, they're not born of truth. They're a lie decorated with an element of deception. What would be one? Well, we have one that we have, as a culture, we have foolishly and arrogantly entertained We've taught it to our children for generations now. We somehow are okay with it. It's a lie. It's called evolution. Evolution is a lie. So it's just this. Okay, can I? I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to draw. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just. I've got to be straightforward. I'm gonna give you a summary, which I believe accurate, of the theory of evolution. The world created itself through the magic of millions and millions, by the power of self-creation, and out of the whirling arrangement of nothing, the mud of life made itself. Let me read that again. The world created itself through the magic of millions and millions, speaking of time, by the power of self-creation, and out of the whirling arrangement of nothing, the mud of life made itself. And that's really very accurate. To the summarization of the theory. The truth says God created the earth, the universe, 
the galaxies. All that has been created, we're told that Jesus created all that has been created. So why do I reference that one? Well, it's not that that's something we should divide over, but we should at least be aware of as we take root and we dig in deeper and start realizing some of these things are kind of brought together. Some present that God used millions of years to accomplish what Genesis 1 says took seven days. Well, actually it took six days and then a review. And so does God need millions of years? And then they would argue, well, it could be. It's like, well, why would he decorate truth with a lie? Why would we orient that way? And I could, I'm not trying to create division. I'm t- I want to stop and think, wait a minute. I don't understand why they say the word of truth must be decorated by the lie of evolution. I, I get it. I mean, I know why it's intellectually reasoned that way. It's because contemporary scientific principle and theory says that this is the aging process. This is the dating procedure. According to this gas or this mineral or this thing that we know it takes this long to get to this point. I said contemporary theory because if you're honest and you know scientific history, theories change. What was matter of fact at one time is not so matter of fact now. And so you can't just say, well, I got to see how this all fits. No, it doesn't have to fit. I don't have to say, well, maybe. I can just say, well, it could be this simple. God created everything already aged. Wouldn't that be humorous? That he just created things looking old and showed you a process that you could say they're old, but they're just not old. It's possible. What if perhaps God just said, this is how I did it. Deal with it. Not divisive, not in a rude way. He's like, this is how I did it. And I showed you that's how I did it. And so it, evolution's a lie. It's not of the truth. No lie is of the truth. Don't, don't divide. I was reluctant to even use that example, but I know it's present in our culture. The need, according to the context, according to what we're rolling through here, is for God's children, the little children, to know what the Father says. For you and I, as born-again Christians, to understand what our Lord, our Master, says to his servants. With that in mind, can we agree? The greatest need in the world today is for God's people to know his voice and obey in his power for his glory and your joy. Now, that's a strong statement. The greatest need, really, humanitarian needs, all these other things, political needs, all these other things, I still think it's very, I think it is true. The greatest need in the world today is for God's people to know his voice and obey in his power for his glory and our joy. Because when we're his, that's what's being taught here, to know and discern the truth, to, be under, to understand and, and not become you know, divisive but to be able to say, okay, this, this is what the Lord would say. This is the word of God. This is what it says. Looking in verse 22 and 23, who's a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, it goes on in that verse to speak of the anti-Christ, another Christ, instead of Christ. Galatians 1, 6 through 10, tells you and me that even if an angel presents to you another gospel. You know, gospel means good news. So if even an angel says, hey, this is the other means by which man can be saved, let them be accursed. It was a very strong warning. There's no other Jesus. There's no other way. 
This lie matters. All lies matter, but this one determines where your faith really is. If you deny, if we somehow think there's other means by which people can be saved, then we're denying the gospel. We're denying who Jesus is. It's a lie that you, will, you can't you know, redo. In other words, you promote it, you embrace it, you die, you deal with rejecting Christ. Today, in, in our community even, our country, across the world, some teach that it's Jesus only, not the Father, Jehovah, not the Holy Spirit as God, it's Jesus only. Sounds okay, but you're denying the Father. Some teach that the Father is enough. Some teach that Jehovah, not Jesus, is, is the one you follow. Some teach that Jesus is a created being, a, a spirit, uh, as you know, some would present that he's a spirit brother to Lucifer. That's the tenet, a key element of Mormonism. Then they're, teaching, they're talking about different Jesus. Some teach that Jesus was a good teacher. He was a man who set good moral, ethical principles and a man to follow. That's not true. He cannot be only a good teacher and a good man. Because he said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No man comes to the Father except by me. He said, I and the Father are one, to which they were going to put him, stone him to death were the Jews, because they knew he declared himself to be God. So how can he be a good man and lie about his deity? It doesn't line up. It's not. You can't say that. It's, he is who he's declared himself to be. Remember this. All false teaching centers around denying the biblical truth about the deity of Jesus Christ. All false teaching. That'll be the one thing that will be emphasized or eventually introduced to you. Some like to build relationships and get to know you and get to know your family and hang out with your kids. And then they introduce to you this false teaching because now you're so emotionally and relationally entangled, you'll overlook this critical truth that they say, hey, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. According to this, it does matter. You know, he, you're, you're anti-Christ if you deny who Jesus really is. Moving on to verse 24. I'm going to roll through this. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, and what you heard from the beginning abides in you. You also will abide in the Son and the Father. So he's basically telling them, listen, that's what you started with. There's not something new. You don't have to have the new thing. You don't have to have a, the Bible speaks of in the end times, there'll be itching ears. People are always looking for some new thing. Oh, I found this new church. They have this new doctrine. They're not archaic. They're not fundamental. They're not old-fashioned. They're this new thing. But he's saying there's nothing new. And they, you know, they were being presented, hey, you got to check out this. You got to go to that. This is what's more important. Here we're told, let what you have received, the gospel of Jesus Christ, abide in you. Speaks to dwell or to reside. As I mentioned, um, you know, Kim was gone for about 10 days. She was visiting her grandkids. She mentioned it as well. Prior to her coming home, I, I did some things different around the house. Okay, Like on day... Nine or 10, 10, but not quite all the way to she got home at 9.30 last night. Um, yesterday, most of the day, I was at home cleaning up the house, so to speak. I was wanting to make sure that the interior of the house didn't look like the interior of the garage. So I had some adjustments. Why? 
I felt it was going to be better for her to abide. I knew we could dwell a little more differently if these things were taken care of. You see where I'm going with this? It says to abide, to dwell, and let me just say it, with kindness, with compassion, with straightforwardness, make room for the truth of God in your life. Make room for it. Get rid of the stinking thinking, the worldly heart, and the adulterous love affair with the things of this life. Do you know God talks about our desires that way? He even mentioned it to the nation Israel, that they were adulterous. They claimed a spiritual devotion to God, but then they were devoted to the things of this world. They were whoring around with the things of this life. And, and you know, it's still the reality of the world we live in. We, we are so easily deceived. And they, well, it's okay, I can do this, and they do that, and I can do this. And I want to encourage you, abide, dwell, reside. You know, I know, we all know individually, privately, we know the things we should let go of or not be doing. We know them. We can't just continually tell ourselves it's okay because if God really wanted me to change, he'd hit me over the head with a two before. <laughs> Literally, I've had people say that. It's like, no, he won't. He's a perfect gentleman. According to the Old Testament, we're told that when he speaks to you and I, if there's any sense of parallel or any sense of importance, he speaks with a still, small voice. He doesn't speak to the thunder and the impression and the fire and all the stuff. He could, but he speaks with a still small voice. A perfect gentleman, a loving father saying, come to me. Let me dwell within you. Let me reside. Read John 15. You'll find a lot in that. It'd be very encouraging. Verse 25, this is the promise that he has promised us, the eternal life. This is what is given to you, to me. It's not presented before you that you could arrive there someday. It's a promise based on his work, what he's done, his righteousness. Because he died for your sins, because he rose from the grave, because he ascended bodily into heaven, he conquered death and hell. And he has promised us that. He has said this is accomplished. As he said on the cross, what? It is finished. It's done. He promised us, this is what we have, he promised us eternal life. Eternal life comes through believing in Jesus, whom the Father sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that we have. Verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. False teachers will always be here on this earth. 2,000 years ago, in, in most of your New Testament uh, not just doctrinal letters we see there, but more of them are correctional letters bringing truth about how to live together, what it means to be born again, what a, what a Christian is and why they are that, and then how they live according to that truth. It's all instructive and, and corrective. False teachers were there then. It, it began at the Garden of Eden and will continue until false teachers and their demonic minion, you know, sources, till they're relocated into a lake of fire where they, be, they will be tormented forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. So I say it because, you know, we think, well, I just wish it was more like this. I've had people say this. I, I love the comment. I do know, I see what they're looking at. And I wish the church today was like the early church. Well, actually, kind of is. 
<laughs> it really is. There's in so many ways. Yes, there was a, a, a youthfulness to the church, you know, in that age of, of, you know, the beginning and stuff. But there was also a lot of other challenges. Moving on to verse 27. This anointing, this unction, it says in 27, the anointing which you have, you receive from him, it abides in you, and you don't need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things is true, it is not a lie, just as he taught you, you will abide in him. So there's one more for your fridge. Let's take that one out of there. You can go up back there, you know all things. And then you can jump down here, you don't need anyone to teach you. Just put those two on there, you now are set free. <laughs> you have uh, all kinds of new opportunities. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because you probably you could easily think, well, wait a minute. We don't need anybody to teach us. We could come into Sunday morning. We could sit through worship, say hi to a few people, cut out that windbag pastor, close in a word of prayer, and I can make the game. I mean, this was actually not a bad deal. What's he doing wasting all our time? Well, let me, let me tie it all together and we can see it because I say it because you can read these and go, wait a minute, that means, I, that means we don't need these and we don't have those. Let's consider first the role of the unction, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We'll bring it up. It's in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. So the Holy Spirit, who was, he said to his disciples prior to the resurrection, He's with you and will be in you. We live in the will be in you point. So he, he's going to lead us and guide us in all truth. He's going to teach us all these things. We see also in, in verse 16, I mean chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus once again continuing in the same engagement with his disciples, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So, okay, so the Holy Spirit speaks to you and to me. Remember, he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't say, well, you aren't learned enough. You're not educated enough. You don't know, you don't, you know, he, he, he offers truth to all of us. So let's, let's understand another portion of scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it, it tells us to not forsake the gathering together, the assembling together as some have done. So we're to gather together. Why don't we consider also Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. This is what God has said to the church, to you and I. God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, notice this one, some pastors and teachers, and here's the reason, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So why do you need pastors and teachers if you're not supposed to get together? Do you see, we actually realize as, as we are taught and as, as you know, we grow, that we actually learn the word of God from one another. We're encouraged. Now, I'm before you, I share, I teach the word of God. But it's the Holy Spirit that confirms it to you. He confirms it or he cautions you. See, we're told that you know, even in the early church, the Bereans, an area called Berea, they searched the scripture daily 
to see if what Paul said was true. They weren't trying to find fault. They were actually wanting to know the truth, and so they were working through it. And so my encouragement is, yes, we gather together in his name. Yes, we are taught. And yes, we are encouraged to, to, to know the word. But you have something happen every Sunday you come in here hungry. If you come in here hungry, hungry for the word, you will have the Holy Spirit. Something will stick out to you. Something will say to you. And, and it's so fascinating because I, you know, I meet a lot of people in the, in the lobby area or the patio area after service. And it's interesting sometimes as I get home and I collect some of the comments and thoughts in my head and like, wow, that one person really talked about how this stuck out to them. And then this person, he mentioned that, and then she said that, and, and then this person clearly wasn't paying attention. Because <laughs> they're quoting something I didn't say. But see what happens? See, the Holy Spirit, because some of you have said this to me, do you talk to my wife? Do you check my mail? Because you're, you're, you're humorously saying, you, you talked about things that are right here, they're right in my life. I don't know that. But as I bring the truth and the Holy Spirit, this unction, he, he teaches you the word of God that you can be conformed into the image of God, that you can glorify God and experience the joy of God according to John 15, 11. So awesome. It's okay, Lord, you teach us. So we, we do gather together. We don't, don't want to be deceived and, and drawn away and misled. Verse 28 and 29, we can wrap it up right now. And now little children abide in him. Once again, we're back to that word. Abide in him. You know he's righteous. You know that everyone practices righteousness. And it's his righteousness that he's speaking of. Not your doing good, but receiving and learning to walk in what his goodness is. Let me conclude these two verses with a simple sentence. Live with a conscious awareness of his presence, his promises, and his soon return. Live with a conscious awareness. We have to bring it to the forefront of our mind as a reminder of who we are because of what he's done. A conscious awareness of his presence, he resides within me, the Holy Spirit. Of his promises, he is faithful. He is not just throwing things out to try to deceive people. So his presence, his promise, and his soon return. If you've got someone coming to your house at 1230, well, you're going to be late. But suppose, you know, you've arranged it to be there at 1230, you do certain things. You're aware that they're there. Now, based on the relationship, it'll affect how you've prepared things and how, but you're looking forward. Say it's a friend, an acquaintance, a loved one. You haven't seen him for a long time, and you're like, he is not going to make it. He's going to go on to the, he hasn't even said closing twice yet. You, you know what I mean? Because you long to be with them. You're aware of now, but you're looking to that. See, that's why God wants us to be aware. His return is imminent in any moment. And it's not in any way misleading. It helps us to not be entangled with the things of this life. It helps us to look, I'm looking forward to that. But you could go do this with us. You know what? I'm just going to lock in right here, abide right here. That's what I'm going to focus on. And I don't think it's going to, I'm not going to get ripped off. I can guarantee you that. I'd like to have Greg come up and he's going to lead us in a song of worship together. And as he works his way up here, I'd like you to stand with me. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. I say look at it. We're actually going to pray through it. I know it's a, a little awkward um, to sometimes pray with your eyes open, or maybe you can be looking at your Bible or your phone for, for the Scripture. But I like doing this. I like closing, praying through the Word, because 
it's a reminder of our desire. In the Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, I'm going to pray through that. Um, it's just, it's our heart even today. You know, we haven't arrived. We haven't got it all figured out. Not one of us. But if we'll let God teach us, if we'll be humble enough to be taught, our lives will be dramatically and positively and amazingly changed in a phenomenal way. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, so much to absorb and process and think through. And Lord, you know it's hard to even stay awake. Sometimes it's hard to stay focused. But we just rely on you, God. The Holy Spirit, you will give us understanding and application in our personal lives. Lord, that you will bring us to an awareness of your faithfulness, of your love, that even in hard times and hardships, Lord, that we would see your gentle and kind hand. Lord, we know that we have not already attained. We're, we're not complete. We're not finished. So, Lord, help us to have this tenacity, this determination to press on, that we would take hold of that for which you have saved us, Jesus, that which you have laid hold of us. Likewise, may our mind be aware, Lord. May our determination be that we haven't apprehended, but the one thing we would do neglecting those things which are behind and extending ourselves, leaning forward, reaching for the things which are ahead. God, that we would have the eternal awareness to press forward, to reach for the goal, for the prize of the upward call that you have for us, Lord Jesus. Oh, keep us close, oh God. We sing to you with gladness and hope. Amen. Amen.